Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming back. It's good to see you here. And uh, grateful that you can be a part of our service this evening. Thank you to each one who participated already. Tonight, we are in a very simple portion of Scripture, unlike much of what we have been dealing with in Matthew chapter 24, that gets a little bit complicated. Tonight is an application, and as such, again, it is very simple, very clear, very uh, practical. It is talking about what we should do in the period of time before, during which we are awaiting the Lord's return. What should we do? How should we live? Not knowing exactly when the Lord is going to return. We should be prepared for his return. Tonight we want to look at what that includes or what that entails, being prepared for the Lord's return. That doesn't mean we try to figure it out, uh, that we are spending all our days uh, pouring over the scripture and uh, trying to come up with a date, a time, a, a period. The scripture tells us we're not able to do that anyway. But rather, it is a mindset that we are to follow. You've heard the old adage that when the cat is away, the mouse will play. That is not to be our attitude concerning the Lord's return. As we are awaiting his return, we ought to be faithful. Key verses are Matthew 24, 44 through 48. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming... (coughs) Excuse me... (coughs) For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. The theme is that in light of the uncertainty of the time of the Lord's return, we must remain diligent in our service for the Lord so that we are found faithful when he returns. So what does it mean to be ready for the Lord's return? Matthew twenty four forty four says that we are to be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Two characteristics of a person who is prepared or ready for the Lord's return. The person who is ready for the Lord's return is one who is faithful. Who then is the faithful servant? And secondly, the person who is ready for the Lord's return is wise. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? B, the faithful and wise servant is one who, when the Lord returns, will be doing what God has given him to do. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Doing what God has given us to do. What God has given to the steward in this instance is to feed the fellow servants. Matthew 24, 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food? That was the primary responsibility of this particular servant. There are different responsibilities, but it's a parable. And in this parable, the servant is one who is to feed the other servants. Such as in John chapter 21, verse 15. 
uh, a resurrection appearance of Jesus to Simon Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. So what would it mean to be faithful on the part of Simon Peter when the Lord returns? It means that he would be feeding God's people, that he'd be teaching them the word of God. To be doing what God has given the servant to do is faithful. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? The faithful servant is the one who will be doing what God has given him to do. That is what is determining faithfulness. We are told elsewhere in the scriptures that we are to occupy until he comes. Uh, We do that by simply fulfilling God's purpose and will for our life. Maintaining a consistent, habitual walk with the Lord, fulfilling his desires and will for our life. That encapsulates uh, faithfulness. Three, the doing what God has given the servant to do is wise. Wise because he is blessed. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over the household to give them their food at the proper time? Verse 46, blessed is that servant. So the wisdom is to be seen in the way in which it is wise to be doing what God has given us to do. Conversely, it is foolish to not do what God has given us to do. We are going to be in a place of blessedness. We're going to be in a place of reward. We're going to be in a place of fruitfulness if, when the Lord returns, we're going to be found having done what he has told us to do. Fourthly, the blessedness is to be entrusted with even more responsibility. Matthew 24, 47. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So the blessedness is that when the Lord returns, we are going to be given even greater responsibility than what we're given in this life. Now that's all that this particular parable has to say. I'm not going to go into great lengths because as we work our way through Matthew, we're going to have that delineated for us in much more specific ways. But what is being hinted at is what is going to come, and that is that we're going to be rulers over uh, multiple cities. We are going to be given responsibilities in the millennial kingdom as servants of God, uh, ruling with him, uh, overseeing his affairs, being involved in his administration. Uh, All of that is going to be um, seen as a reward for faithfulness. Five, there's a general lesson here, namely to serve the Lord, his great privilege and blessing. We are to understand, even in this life, that to be entrusted with the responsibility of serving the Lord is indeed a privilege. It is to be seen as a delight. It is to be seen as uh, that which is honorable, good, uh, delightful. Uh, For when he returns, we are going to be given even more responsibility. Uh, That is not to be seen as uh, a burden. (laughs) 
uh, that is not to be seen as a hardship that now we're going to be entrusted even with more responsibility, but is to be received as a blessing. So it's important as we look at this life, part of the faithfulness is to recognize the blessing that we have to be entrusted with responsibility, that uh, God has given us a work to do. And so we do it with joy and delight, for not everyone is so privileged, not everyone is so blessed uh, as to be able to serve the Lord as we are. So that is a part of the wisdom, that's a part of the faithfulness, recognizing the goodness of God, entrusting us with the responsibilities that he has entrusted us with. Number two, what it is not to be prepared for the Lord's return. The wicked servant, in contrast to the faithful and wise servant, is not anticipating the Lord's return. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. He is wicked or evil, for he thinks of the one whom he serves as in some sense of being his master, and yet does not serve him. But the wicked says to himself, my master is delayed. So first thing we we see is the wickedness here is in the reference to this one who has given him responsibility as his master. Many places, and one of the most uh, famous places is in the the scripture uh, where Jesus says, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, you never knew me. Uh, It's one thing to say that Jesus is our Lord. It's another to act and live like Jesus is our Lord, our master. It's easy to say, but not always is our lifestyle uh, commensurate with our profession. Uh, We may use the words, but our heart might be far from the significance of really having Jesus as our Lord. So the wicked servant refers to him as his master. B, he is wicked or evil, for he thinks of the one whom he serves as in some sense of being his master and yet does not serve him. I just said that. Uh, C, he is wicked because he believes that his master will not return for some time, if at all. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, delayed, The point is that the wicked servant does not anticipate any accountability for his actions. He's not really looking for the Lord's return. When it talks about looking for the Lord's return, it's not necessarily looking with your eye always to heaven and uh, looking uh, in the sense of, is he coming down yet? But looking in the sense of anticipating, of, of really believing that the Lord is actually going to return. I hope tonight that you are convinced that Jesus is really coming back to this earth. That Jesus, just as he came for the first time, just as he was born and then ascended into heaven, one day is going to descend to this earth. Okay, If we do not believe that, we are deceiving ourselves, and we are in fact wicked. And it leads to our unfaithfulness. Okay. Uh, I've, I've often thought about why the emphasis on the Lord's return. Uh, because um, all of us are going to die. 
And we don't know the day of our death. And we could be ushered into God's presence with no notice whatsoever. We could die in our sleep tonight and find ourselves in the presence of God. We could be in an automobile accident on the way home and find ourselves in the presence of God. So why the emphasis on the Lord's return? Because of everything that's associated with that return. Because of the judgment that is coming. Um, when we die and are immediately in his presence, judgment doesn't immediately occur. The millennial kingdom isn't immediately set up. Those things are going to be yet future to us. But when the Lord returns, all those things are going to immediately take place. And so we are to be anticipating all of those events that are associated with the Lord's return. D, he is wicked because he acts abusively. Verse 49, and he begins to beat his fellow servants. Beat his fellow servants. Here, the wicked servant persecutes his fellow servants. A part of that word to beat has, has at its root the idea of to persecute. So he is along with the evildoers. He really is wicked because he is acting like those that are around him. Uh, the scripture talks about the time that there will be great persecution, where here the unfaithful servant enters into that persecution of the faithful. I uh, have here an example of Pasher uh, from the book of Jeremiah. You may, may remember the incident. Pasher is a priest. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 2, then Pasher, who is a priest, beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in stocks and were, were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. So here is a priest in Israel one who is to be faithful to God, who ends up beating a prophet, Jeremiah, because Jeremiah says that the children of Israel are going to go into captivity in the land of Babylon. They don't like the message. Even the priest doesn't like the message. And so, not believing that they're going to go into captivity, not believing in the judgment of God that is coming because of their sin, not believing in the reality of all that's going to take place, he actually beats Jeremiah and then throws him into prison. Well, the unfaithful servant, because he does not really believe in the Lord's return, accompanies himself with the evildoers and lives and acts as though the Lord will never return. He is wicked because he acts selfishly. He eats and drinks with drunkards. Rather than feeding the household, which the master has entrusted to his care, instead, he eats and drinks uh, abundantly. He uh, uses that which he's to be giving to the fellow servants for his own sake, and he eats and drinks with drunkards, with other evildoers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-5 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. They don't believe that they are in any danger. They don't believe that the Lord is going to return. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. There's to be a difference. The faithful servant prefers the fellowship of, uh, excuse me, the wicked servant prefers the fellowship of the unrighteous to that of the righteous. Therefore, the wicked servant is not prepared for the Lord's return. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. He will not have been found faithful. He will not be prepared. Instead, the wicked servant, in opposition to the faithful servant who is going to be blessed, is going to be condemned. The wicked servant will be condemned, verse 51, and will cut him in pieces. To be cut in pieces is literally to be cut in two. To be cut in two. Um, commentators are divided, <clears throat> no pun intended, but are divided in understanding exactly what the symbolism of being divided in two is. But it uh, seems like the majority opinion is that they are going to be laid open. They are going to be shown to be what they are. They're going to be revealed uh, to be the hypocrites they are. In fact, it tells us he will be determined to be a hypocrite, verse 51, and put him with the hypocrites. He is going to be seen as false. Thirdly, he'll be assigned to a place of great anguish as opposed to great blessing. And we'll cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth is referred to as two things in the New Testament. First, as outer darkness. Matthew 8, 11, and 12. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There the picture of outer darkness is where there is absolutely no light. No light. Meaning that there is no understanding. Uh, There is no revelation. There is no awareness of the person of God. They are going to be in the dark. They are going to be uh, not fellowshipping with God whatsoever. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth is referred to as the fiery furnace, Matthew 13, 42. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, It's a picture of hell. It's a picture of torment. It's the picture of destruction. And then lastly, the weeping and gnashing of teeth speaks of the incredible degree of remorse and regret for having lived so foolishly. I think of, of the torments of hell. And it's kind of unfathomable to really understand what hell is going to be like. People talk about hell on earth, but no one has experienced anything that's even close to what hell is going to be like. I don't care what misery somebody has experienced, and I know that there's a lot of misery. I know there's a lot of suffering. I know people go through physical ordeals. I know they go through mental ordeals. I know that they have trauma of great distress, and I don't want to minimize that distress at all, 
except to say, but in comparison, in comparison, there's no comparison. The only one that knows anything about what hell is like is the wrath that Jesus experienced when he was on the cross. And the worst experience of Jesus on the cross was not the shame, although that was great, and he despised the shame. It isn't the pain, although the pain was real, and uh, tore out the hair of his, of his beard, etc., etc. But the great anguish of the cross came in the cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To be abandoned of God. No one knows what it's like to be abandoned of God. Even the non-believer doesn't know what it's to be in a place of absolute darkness, where there is no experience of God's mercy, of God's grace. Every single person on the face of this earth is experiencing God's grace. The very fact that he allows them to continue to take a breath is the grace of God. The fact that he provides for them is the grace of God. No one is devoid totally of the grace of God now, but one day they will. And it says there's going to be weeping and a gnashing, a a grinding of teeth. You know, in the old movies, when a person was going to be operated on or they were going to pull a a, a, a tooth out of them, uh, you know, they'd give them some whiskey or something, and then they'd have them bite down on on something. You know, to to cleanse their teeth, to, to try and deal with the pain. The, the anguish is depicted in this weeping, wailing, not just weeping, not just tears coming down from their eyes, but, but a wailing, uh, um, uh, not just a moaning, but this carrying on, you know, the, the heaving, chest heaving kind of, of crying. You know, our, our children can, can cry when they're irritable. They can, 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 they can be whiny. But you know the difference in that cry when they're hurt. Uh, and, and then you hear this, this painful kind of cry, and you know they hurt themselves, and you go running. Well, this cry is the most intense, reprehensible kind of tears that one could have. And there's going to be this gnashing of teeth. I can't imagine the sense of regret, how foolish could I have been, says the unbeliever, when he is in this place of torment. Why? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I repent? Why didn't I give my life to Christ? Why did I live so foolishly? Why did I live so wickedly? Why didn't I prepare myself? Why wasn't I ready for the Lord's return? It's a sobering application. I hope tonight that we are all ready for the Lord's return. We know the Lord is our Savior. We're living our life in such a way that reflects that knowledge, that truth, that that real belief that he is coming again. And with him comes a reward. And with him comes absolute devastation for those that do not know him 
and who have not been serving him. May we be ready for the Lord's return. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to be ready, having known the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and not just giving lip service to that, but true reality. We have yielded our lives to Christ, the one who has saved us, delivered us from all harm and anguish. May we look forward to, anticipate the Lord's return and that time of blessing, that time of reward for all those who are found faithful, uh, having uh, committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And I pray for anyone here tonight who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, I pray that tonight would be that night, maybe a a child, uh, maybe somebody who's been here many, many times, heard a lot of gospel invitations, but has never trusted in Christ. Oh, Lord, I pray if there's one like that tonight, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus, knowing that he is going to return. And with him is the reward or punishment. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful 4th of July. Blessings upon you. Go in peace.